I want to tell you a story about a family. And now, this family has a son, okay, who's actually never grown up. Um, this young man's 23 years old, and yet he still sucks a pacifier. You might find that to be strange. He, he still sits in a height chair and has his mama feed him with his favorite spoon, and he eats his favorite sweet potatoes while wearing his favorite Superman bib. Now, picture this, right? He crawls around the house, and wherever he goes, he's always making a mess. This is a strange thing. At nighttime, at nighttime, he cuddles up in bed with his mama, and he's holding his favorite Superman action figure, and his mom reads to him his favorite book called Goodnight Moon. And every night, she prays with him and puts him to bed. Now, I want to be clear because I know you're all inside probably wanting to laugh, but you're not because you're like, well, maybe there's something wrong. But actually, there's, there's nothing wrong with this young man. Now, there's, there's obviously lots of things that are wrong with this young man, but, but nothing, there's no disability that's keeping him from growing. He just has no desire to grow. Okay, maybe you're not tracking well. 23 years old, in a, in a bib, in a height chair, getting fed his Favorite sweet potatoes by his mom. But, but he don't need to be there other than he just likes to be there. He just kind of, meh. This is strange. As a matter of fact, if all of us right now were to leave here and we were to go to Mac Park and we were to see this family, I think that probably all of us would probably, well, we'd look at them a little sideways. I mean, maybe our hearts would pour out and want to engage this family to see if there's a way we could help and love and serve. And actually, no, they're like, this is, this is good. This is normal. This is fine. But through coming conversation with these folks, we find out he just really has no desire to, to grow up. He's a man-child. He's a man-child. That's what they would say. And, and actually, they would applaud it, and they would think this is pretty neat. We would all, I hope, walk away saying, something ain't right. <laughs> something ain't right. I mean, what's going on here? This is jacked up. You might even say it out loud, but you're certainly going to say it within your mind. And that's the right response. That is the right response if you were to see this. If there's just no physical or mental reasons for this young man to grow up, not grow up, he just doesn't want to. He likes his deity. That's strange. Isn't that strange? Yet, yet within, within the church, oh, too many times we can see this. Spiritually, at some level, although we don't get to see all those pieces, someone not growing in Christ, and we think that somehow that's the norm. Well, that's... That's just as strange to me. Now, let us all be careful right now, right? Because what I'm not talking about is us becoming a bunch of self-righteous people who, who go around and gauge as to whether someone's growing in the Lord at the, at the speed we would like them to. I'm not talking about that. But I am saying, though, there needs to be a desire for God's children to grow in Christ, to want to be like their Father in heaven, that is to be the normative thing for the believer once they're born again. And see, the good news for the believer in Christ is that the same power, right, the same power in which God saves you through Christ is now at work in you to transform you into his image. So that really brings us to our scriptures today. Let's go to 2 Peter, if you would, please go ahead and get your Bibles out. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Uh, but hopefully you do have it. Turn to 2 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 1, and we're going to take our time. We're going to look at verses 3 through 9. 
Okay, so while you guys are pulling that up on your phone or, or flipping to it, and you can also, if you don't have a Bible, you can watch it on the side screens and, and follow along. Um, so I'm going to now read from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Read along with me, please. So his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours in increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And that is the word of the Lord. So point one, ready? We're going to work through verses three and four, but point one is that God provides his all-sufficient resources as a gift through faith in Jesus. That's great news. Listen, it says it right there. Look, look in verse three. We see that by God, by his divine power, has granted or given us almost all things that pertain to life and godliness, and then we must do the rest from there. Oh, wait, actually, that's not what your translation says at all. It says he's given us all things by his divine power that pertain to life and godliness. So, listen, that's good news. See, when we place our faith in Christ and the work that he's accomplished on the cross, the Holy Spirit begins the process of making us more and more like Jesus, conforming us to his image. It's, it's very important that we understand that in order to say we have all things that pertain to eternal life or, or godliness, that we're clear that we've trusted in Christ and not our Christianity. It's, it, you have to start there. If you're not in Christ, you have no chance to grow. Without faith in Jesus and what he's accomplished, you don't have eternal life. And you cannot grow because you're spiritually dead. So, so this text, he's, matter of fact, if you go to verse 2, it would literally say that those who have a faith equal to the faith I have. So those who are trusting in Jesus Christ, So you can't grow if you don't have faith in Jesus, but those who have faith in Christ and the work he's accomplished who are trusting in him will grow, okay? So we, listen, Christian, so this is Christian, the good news is if you're trusting in Jesus, we've passed from death into life. That's the good news of the gospel. So let us look at what it means and by which... How does God grow us in godliness? How does he do this work in us? What are the means he chooses to do so? Well, so verse three says, his divine power, his divine power, has granted to us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so if we're gonna talk about growing in godliness, we must start with God. We must start with God. If we don't start there, we have no shot 
of obtaining any kind of godliness, certainly no chance of obtaining eternal life because it's impossible apart from him. That's why in verse three it says, his divine power has granted to us all things. And what, what we know from the Bible and, and what even good, good theologians would teach us, that there's three words that begin with the letter O that would describe or help us to understand God. And so I'm gonna give you those three. Right? So one of them is, is omniscient. And this just means that God, that God is all-knowing, past, present, future. He's sovereign. He knows all. It's about knowledge. And, and it is omnipresent, right? I know I'm throwing big words at you, but, but you can get it. Comprehend it, right? It's at some level. I mean, to think about the fact that God is present everywhere at all times is, <laughs> right? It's pretty awesome to dwell upon, though. How about the fact that he's omnipotent, which just means he's all-powerful? And, and if you're going to have a God, well, you, you want him to be all these things, and the one true God is all these things, and only he is, because there's only one God in three persons, the Father, Son, and Spirit. So it's important to know God, because that is the means that God uses to grant us all things that pertain to godliness. Look at the second half of verse 3 in 2 Peter again. Through the knowledge of him, through the knowledge of God, who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So growing in godliness, right? Growing in godliness happens by his divine power. Boy, that's good news. Through the knowledge of Jesus. See, We see here that proper knowledge of God and his precious and very great promises are extremely important if we are going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. So let us never be a people that think that to grow in godliness, that knowledge of the Lord does not matter. That's just not true. And matter of fact, that's why I feel so compelled to teach this class that we have 24 weeks left on doctrine or the teaching to know Jesus better. But warning, warning because there's a knowledge that doesn't grow you in godliness there's a knowledge i mean satan knows the bible way better than all of you way better than me and he's obviously not growing in godliness pharisees knew the bible extremely well to the letter of the law but yet jesus would say to them why is it with your lips why is it with your lips you honor me but your hearts are so far from me so there's a knowledge that doesn't lead to worship, right? And, and Paul would warn us, listen, knowledge, if, if not done with a humble heart, can actually puff up. But love, love builds up, right? And so it's important to keep that in our minds as we go forward from here. If you want to know what God is like, and hopefully, born again believer, you want to know what God is like, you'll read your Bible and you'll look for Jesus because listen, In the book of Colossians, we learn that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So you want to know what the Lord is like? Know Jesus, right? And and this is why I find it so perplexing at times. Many times I'll hear people talk about the God of the Old Testament, and like fire and brimstone and throwing, you know, tar out of heaven on people that don't behave. And And then we, sorry, and then we somehow make Jesus like God 2.0. He's softer, more gentle. He's a huggable, lovable savior. And, and it's just so wrong because he's the exact imprint 
of God. He is God. So as we, as we think about this, as we, as we look to know God, look to Jesus because he's God in the flesh, and he came full of grace and truth, he's the exact imprint. Listen, power, you want to talk about power? He curses a fig tree and it dies. Now, now think about this. Do, do you see why it's good we're not God? I mean, can you imagine the absolute disaster that would follow probably any of us, especially me, at Christmas time in Walmart? I mean, if you could curse something and it dies, there's a wake of bodies lying on the floor when I'm going Black Friday shopping. I promise you. Now, I'm not proud to say that, but I'm telling you, if I have the power where I think, curse, boom, dead, whew. There's going to be a problem here. There's going to be a problem. And, and you're all the same, even if you won't admit it. That just shows another thing. But now listen. So, so think about this. How many cars are just lying along the road in flames when you're running late? I mean, boom. I mean, there's, they're flying all over the place. And if you've ever driven in city traffic, you know this to be true. I don't care how much you love the Lord. There are parts of your heart that are just unregenerated. And there are flames and cars getting tossed to and fro. So it's good we're not God. Yet, this is the kind of power that God possesses. And Listen, he has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's good we're not working from our inventory. We're working from his. So Jesus Christ, he curses a fig tree and it dies. Jesus rebukes a storm and it listens. Jesus, listen, you know this if you know your Bible, even told Lazarus, you're not allowed to be dead. Get up. I mean, you know you got power when you will look at a dead person and say, you're not allowed to be dead. Get get up. And they get up from their deadness. Whoo! That's power. That's the God we know. That's the God we serve. That's the divine power at work in you and pertaining and giving to you that pertain to life and godliness. So don't forget this. That the God who has called us to his glory and to his excellence, right? This is what he wants to do in and through us, and he's committed to it. So picking it back up in verse 4, the second portion, it says that through them, through what? Through the promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, through these promises, we may become partakers of the divine nature. That's what it means to grow in godliness. Now, let's be real careful. This is not us becoming little gods, like some strange expressions of religion want to teach you, right? This is not us doing that. It's actually us becoming more like Christ. It's him in us and through us working to conform us into his image. And those who are in Christ are a part of what he's doing. And anyone who's covered by the blood of Christ is in Christ. And so look at the the last portion of, of four. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This is complex, man. The first couple of verses are complex to see, but it's, it's beautiful. The way we gain eternal life and grow in godliness is faith in Jesus. Let's make it as simple as possible. We have escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of, uh, and sinful desires. So get this. Those who have been transferred from the domain of darkness into his kingdom, his beloved son, we now fight. We fight our old desires through the knowledge of God by his very great promises. 
That's, that's the beauty of this text because we now have a desire for God. Why? Because his Holy Spirit's in us and for his glory and for his excellence. So we must know God in order to trust him. And as we do, we'll understand his very great promises and know that he is trustworthy and he will never break them. Oh, it's so good to know that. So what are these great promises? Well, actually, there's a ton. But, but I, I took some that I just find myself going back to and meditating on and thinking on. So I want to share some of these great promises. I would recommend you read the Bible and, and that you would ask God to speak to you through his word with a notepad. And that when you hear promises, you write them down. Because there's going to be a day you're going to need these. This is why it's so important to memorize scripture. It's so important to store up the word of God in our hearts so that we might not sin against him and so that the day trouble comes, boy, we can run to him because he is a strong tower. It's good to know that we worship a God of all grace and we can cast all our fears and anxieties upon him because he cares for us. It's good to know that we can resist Satan. He is a roaring lion and we can shut his mouth by the power of God We resist him firm in our faith, and at the right time, God will restore us, confirm us, strengthen us. And that was all just from 1 Peter 5. But listen, here's some more. Psalm 23, 6, he pursues me with goodness and mercy. Oh, isn't it good to know that? Listen, Psalm 84, 11, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. If such a great God. Luke 6.23, great is your reward in heaven. <laughs> great is your reward in heaven. Philippians 1.6, he will complete the work in you that he has begun. Oh, I need that. I need to hear that. I need to know that is true. It is true. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply you with all your needs according to his riches and glory. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Romans 8.28, all things work together for my good. Now, this is for the believer. This is true for the believer. Romans 8.39, nothing can separate me from the love of God. That's just a handful. That's just, I mean, it's just, that's a drop in the ocean of what God has promised us in Christ. So get to know his promises. And by doing that, you get to know him. You get to know him. You get to know his character. You get to know that he is trustworthy. All right, so let's, let's attempt to summarize 2 Peter verses 3 and 4. Ready? Um, this is a long run-on sentence. God, by his divine power, calls us to his glory and excellence through the knowledge of God, which leads us to trusting in the precious and very great promises of God, which then leads to an escape from evil desire in the sinful world. And this, my friends, this is all a work of grace. And this is all a work of God by his divine power. That's good news. That's good news. He does it all. He does it all. And, and I believe that to the very core of who I am. Otherwise, I've got no shot at this. Trust me, I've got no shot at this. You think you have a shot at it? You're, you're not really recognizing your own plight. You have no shot. We have no shot apart from him doing this in and through us, period. But, but make no mistake. Listen, we are saved by grace alone, right? Through faith alone and in Christ alone. This is what the Bible teaches, and it screams from the pages. No matter where you look, there it is. Faith, faith, faith. 
So that's the good news. But let us be careful to remind ourselves that this faith is not a faith that remains alone. It's just not. It's not a faith that remains alone. True grace will always result in changed lives that will show itself in love, a love for God and a love for others. Otherwise, the whole thing's a sham, right? I mean, if, it, if God's not doing that in and through us, then, then what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Which brings us to point two. Point two is a proper understanding of grace leads to striving for godliness. Now, we're going to work that out. But it leads to striving for godliness, which is, let's pick it back up in 2 Peter, right? Chapter 1, verse 5, and we're going to go the whole way through 8. Listen again. So for this very reason, because of the work of grace and what God is doing in and through, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So because, Christian, listen, you're in Christ and, and he is in you, follower of Jesus, make every effort. Make every effort. To what? To supplement or to add to your faith. You might have the faith the size of a mustard seed. Great. Supplement it. Work. Why? By his power. His power in you, through you. Get to know him. Work. Strive. It will take every bit of diligence and effort that you can muster. But remember, it is by his divine power working in and through you. Right? And in your cooperation, you're yielding. Right? You're surrendering. You're humbling yourself. We must work hard to cultivate these seven qualities. But listen, grace Grace always brings about a rest that is diligent. So I know when, when we hear effort and work, we start to think these things. So hang in there because we're going we're gonna to tackle that. But to grow in godliness, it is important to maintain a right motivation. It's, it's absolutely imperative to, to have the right motivation. Otherwise, you get it all twisted up. For instance, maybe you want to grow as a follower in Christ so that everyone will look at you and say, wow, look at him, what a godly man. What a godly woman. Wrong. Wrong. Wrong motivation. That's rooted in pride. That's, that's so rooted in pride. That's the problem. At the end of the day, all that matters is that your heavenly Father sees you in Christ and loves you. But he gives you the grace to, to humble yourself. So we know from James 4 it says that, that God, the God of all grace, helps those who humble themselves, but he opposes the proud. So when we want to grow to be more like the Lord, not so he'll love us, but because he does, we humble ourselves. Lord, do this work in me. Do this work through me. Why? So I can enjoy you more. Help me. I want to see you more. Or maybe you think, I want to grow in Jesus and, and godliness so that God will love me more. Once again, you've misunderstood the gospel. In Christ, listen, God loves you, right? I'm telling you, he loves you. He loves me. Yes, he loves you. I can say that with such confidence because the word screams it. So, so what is proper motivation? Proper motivation is we desire to be more like Christ as a response to the love we've received, right? That it's because I've received this great love, because I see this great love, we love because he first loved us. He's in me. I'm working this out. That's my desire. 
I want to be more like you. This type of striving brings God glory. In us, it brings us a great joy and satisfaction and peace with the Lord. You've ever seen a child, have you ever seen a child that, man, they're, they're amazed by their daddy. By the way, daddies get so much more grace than we ever deserve, I can, especially from daughters. I mean it. And yet, I could be the biggest knucklehead, and that kid's like, let's, you know, she's got like a little, well, she never has a hammer in her hand, because, well, I never have a hammer in my hand. Um, but she wants to be like her daddy. Right? So, okay, think about it, child of God. Do you want to be like your father in heaven? And if not, it's probably because you don't know how great he really is. It's not because he doesn't love you. It's not because he's not amazing. It's because you're missing it. Somehow, some way, you've not seen the beauty that God is. Now, I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking we get saved and then we just sit around waiting to get zapped. I see this all the time. Listen, it's not so. Real grace works. (laughs) So not so that we get love, but because we are loved. So listen listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10. He says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Now, this is the dominant biblical pattern that we see all through Scripture. It's it's not this. I hear this. Well, just let go and let God. It's not a biblical thought. Just let go and let God. Or God, well, he has done his part now. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. That's not either. Neither of those are a biblical thought. But rather, since God is powerfully at work in you, you must now make every effort. Make every effort. Once again, listen to the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, 12 through 13. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, Somehow we've gotten off track thinking once we get saved, we just sit around and do nothing. Um, Resting brings striving, right? It it just does. Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. You ever been in a fight? You better scrap. Every day, there are my old natures wanting to rage war against the spirit that's within me. So what do I do? I remind myself, I'm dead. Christ now lives in me. So I engage my mind, my intellect, and I pray, God, do this work in me and through me. Help me. I know that no temptations overtake me that's not common to man. God, you are faithful, right? So he will give you a way to escape. This is what he does. This is what he's promised us. So resting in the grace of God leads to a proper striving for godliness, which allows you to be effective and fruitful, which will bring God glory. That's what he's saying. Possibly no clearer place that we see this than Paul says in Colossians 1.29. For this I toil, struggling with all his, that is Jesus's, energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul is working diligently here to see the church grow and mature in Christ. So what does all this striving bring? What is God doing in and through us by his divine power? 
It brings about love. You see it right there at the end of verse 7. God's ultimate goal here is to conform us into his image so that we will love him and love others. It's all about love. A love that is rooted and growing in faith. Faith in Jesus, which leads to more love, which allows for you to be effective and fruitful, which will bring God glory. Love for Jesus and love for people that God brings into your life. Listen, make every effort to supplement your faith with love. Isn't this beautiful? Look at Galatians 5, 6 says it so well. It says, for in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. True faith in Jesus is a living and active thing that produces love. He's saying, neither your religion or your irreligious, whether you do this, whether you do that, if you've got no love, you've got nothing. What matters is your faith is working itself out in love. Which, which really then brings us to, to point three and, and finishes out what, what Peter is telling us. So point three says, living okay, right, an effective life of love for Christ requires you never forget the gospel. It's, it's not like your entrance way in and then you get on to doing your thing. It is everything. So ask yourself, disciple of Jesus, how are you doing according to this list? And you can make the mistake of listing it out and say, well, I'm going to work on virtue. I'm going to do, you're, you're missing the whole point if you start doing that. You're missing the whole point. If, if we're all being honest, if we're all being honest, I think it's fair to say that we all have growing to do. None of us have arrived. None of us will arrive until he brings us to glory. But that's no reason not to strive with every amount of effort that he works in us. We all struggle. So if, if that's true, and it is, the question has to be asked, why is, it, why is it such a challenge? I mean, many of you, when you think about that, could probably come up with a lot of legit reasons why this could be a challenge. I mean, I certainly can. I could list it out, man. I could write a dissertation on that alone. But what does the Bible say? What does Peter say in this exact text? Look at verse 9. So whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted, he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Oh, that's, I hope you get that. If not, I pray that God by his spirit would, would give you this as we continue on. Listen, John Owens was once quoted saying this, our struggle in living the Christian life is not doing, it's believing. Get that, Christian. Listen, that is so good. That's, that's exactly what verse 9 is saying. It's a profound thing that's actually being said here. The Bible is teaching that if you lack these qualities and you are not growing, then try harder. That's not what the Bible is saying. It's not saying, then work, try, do this, do that. That will not work. If it did, it would lead to pride and arrogance, and you would become a very self-righteous person in a matter of moments. And then when you fail yourself, and you will fail yourself, you will go to the pit of despair because every time I try to grow, I never grow, and then that, that leads to despair. And you will vacillate between these two, between pride and between despair. And that's all religion. It's all religion does. It's all religion does, but that is not the gospel. No, the way to grow is to believe the good news. This happens when a people's heart have been transformed, gripped up by the love of God in the gospel. The gospel has got to be at the heart of everything we do as a church. 
at everything, whether we pray, whether we sing, whether we preach, whether we do this, it has to be dripping the gospel all the time. We never move past this. It's why it's so imperative that each and every person within this church unites around this wonderful good news of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. If the gospel has done nothing to change how you live and how you love, I gotta say though, there's a chance it's probably done nothing to change your soul. You have to ask yourself that. You have to sit before the word of God. You have to humble yourself. I cannot. But let us make sure that we first know what the gospel is or is not. To start, the gospel is not the news that we're basically all right people who just need to clean themselves up a little. That is not the gospel. You are way worse than you could ever imagine. And before you think, well, he's pointing that, I am way worse than I could ever even deeply comprehend. When I first got saved, I knew I was a sinner. No one had to convince me of that. But I'll tell you what, as I have walked with the Lord, the depth of that sin has gotten deeper. Now now get this right, that doesn't mean I became a bigger sinner. Matter of fact, I think by God's grace, I have not become a bigger sinner, but I have seen the depths of my sin, even my motives and my thoughts, and by his grace, he conforms me. And every time I see my sin like that, I must look upon the cross 10 times for every time I look once there. And as that happens, God becomes more magnificent. Oh, what a wretch you have saved. You are an amazing God. You are an amazing God. But let's make sure we get this right. The gospel is also not news that God is love and will save us all, the whole world, everybody, everyone gets to heaven no matter what. It's not that. It's not that we all worship the same God. It's none of these things. Matter of fact, it's not even a primary way of life. Too many times we, we, we confuse the gospel by saying that. The gospel is not that God wants us to live better lives, and when we finally do, well, he's just got a wonderful plan for you. It's none of these things. So what is it? What is the gospel? Well, that's a great question. The gospel is a message. The gospel is what has been done for us and something we then must respond to. The gospel is news about what has been done by Jesus to correct our relationship with God. This is the news. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross as a sacrifice, as a substitute for sinners, and that he rose eternally triumphant, defeating Satan, sin, and death, and and making a way for sinners like us to be reconciled to God in heaven he has made a way for salvation. That's, that's the gospel. And, and it's open to all. Come and receive. Repent and believe. That's the good news. It is the news that, is, as 2 Corinthians 5.21 would say, that for our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin. Although he knew no sin, he never did sin, he never had sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So as we put our faith and trust in Jesus, he takes upon our sin, and he takes the wrath that you and I rightfully deserve, and he gives us his righteousness, a righteousness that is so foreign to us because we are not righteous, we are sinful. And he gives us this righteousness as a gift. And he imputes it. And and the moment we believe, the moment we believe, we are adopted into the family. We go from wretched enemies of God, 
to born into the family, children beloved by God. The judge becomes the father. Oh, this is the gospel. If that does not thrill you, I'm concerned for you. If you sit here and you hear that, and it does nothing for your heart, I'm concerned. And I would ask, do you know him? It is where God treats Jesus, his beloved son, like an enemy, so that he can treat enemies like us, like sons and daughters. So becoming a Christian is about a change in relationship status. The gospel is the news, like I said, that the judge becomes the father if we will repent and believe this good news. The gospel is when we believe in Christ that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for you, Christian. None. It's gone. Putting our faith and trust in Jesus is not about trying harder. No. It's finished. Oh, do you hear that? It's so much more. It's much more about transferring our trust away from us completely. It means resting in the righteousness that he has provided. It means asking God, Father, accept me not because of what I have done or will do or will ever do, but because of what Jesus has done in my place. That's the good news. When we do that, we're brought into the family of God. And we're giving, we're giving this right to his eternal love as a father. Now, I don't know what that relationship looked like for you, but this is way better than, and I don't care how great your dad was, any father you've ever had. His divine power is doing that. My question to you is, have, have you done that? Have you done that? Have you believed in this good news? If not, my encouragement is today. Let today, right now, be the day of salvation. Because you think, well, I'll do that when I'm done having my fun. You'll not do that when you're having fun or this or that. You don't even know how long you're to live. Your life is a mist. I think so many times, have you, have you ever seen a mist in the morning? You ever gotten up early enough to actually, where there's still a mist? If you have, as soon as the sun crests, boom, mist gone. That's your life. It's a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. So do not think you're going to clean yourself up. You cannot clean yourself up. You're nasty. You must believe. And then he, he comes in to your heart, and he works out your, your life to be more like him. And there will be a day, there will be a day where we'll be with him in complete glory. Oh, Christian, fix your eyes upon that. Dwell upon that. When tough times come, remind yourself of that good news. But my concern, so many times, most of you, I, I know most of you, I feel so good with where you're at, but there's some of you I know have not trusted in the Lord. I can say that no matter where I preach. There's just never a time where all 100% everybody's in. And if so, it's probably a very small collect group. Have you trusted in him? If not, we do that today. That's my prayer. So, a healthy church celebrates the gospel. We never forget it, ever. Oh, God, help us to not forget the gospel. We shout it from the rooftops. That we sh- what do we shout? We shout this, the fact that the saying is trustworthy. It is true. What is true? What is trustworthy? And it is deserving of full acceptance. What? That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, whom I am foremost. 
It's not that I'm good. I trust in him and his perfection. And so church, never move past this. Never move past this. Oh, there's just never a moment where we should not celebrate this in our hearts, in our minds, and let that well up to worship within our hearts. Celebrate it. Teach it to your kids. Pound it. Oh, as long as God gives me breath, I will pound this into your ears. And I pray then, by faith, that his spirit will pound it into your heart. Because I have no ability to do that. I have no ability to do that. But I am praying that as the word goes out, he will do that in you. We worship an amazing God. And it is his divine power who wants to transform you into his image. And he will do that. He will do that. He will give us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Will you believe? That's the question. Will you believe? Listen, worship team, if you guys could go ahead and, and make your way up. And, uh, and as they do, I, I, got, I guess what I would encourage you right now, so those of you who... I'm in Christ. I am so secure. I trust in the Lord with all my being. I would love for you to reflect upon the moment he saved you. I would love for you to reflect upon the moment where you heard this glorious news. You might have been 5, 6, 7, 30, 40 years old. And reflect upon that and think about your plight. The fact that had you died before that moment, your soul would be separated from the Lord in hell forever without any chance of being united with God. But by God's kindness, because of his great love, he rescued you. He saved you. He brought you into the family, and he did it all. Dwell on that. Think about that. And as we go to engage the Lord through worshiping him in song right now, let that well up in your heart. And sing to your king. Sing to your king. Let, let the truth of what is real in the gospel affect your heart, your emotions, who you are. And let his spirit change you. He will do that. That is the good news. Trust him. And so, church, at this time, we have an opportunity to worship through song, yes, but also through giving. That, that is worship. It is to be the regular thing of the believer to say, nothing I have is mine. It's all yours. I freely give it, and I trust you. You will provide always. So none of this was mine anyway. Here you go. Will you do that?